This is Ethan, and I'm here with Dave, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 6-inch. On this episode, we interview a true player for real, MC Lars, and we learn how he came to record with his childhood hero, and we discover his lame claim to fame. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. You don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. Hello, this is Philbert. I love Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. I have to use the toilet. We have with us today one of the founders of Lit Hop and post-punk laptop rock. This guy is a jack of all trades. He's a rapper, he's a cartoonist, he's on YouTube. He has his own podcast. Please welcome MC Lars. Hey Lars, how are you? Hi Dave and Ethan. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. We're so excited to have you on. Congrats on the launch, and this is a very cool podcast, and I don't think anyone's occupied this niche yet, so good job. You guys are doing great. <laughs> well, actually, surprisingly, there's a couple other Weird Al podcasts, so we're, we're in Are good, you serious? Yeah, we're in good company. It's uh, we're, we're certainly not the first, um, but we're we're trying to, to be a really good option for people and get some awesome guests like MC Lars on for people to hear about. You're the first. Well, thank you. You're the first one I've heard of. How's that? Hey, that, that counts. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there's so much to get into with you. Um, there's so many cool things I want to talk about, but I, I got to talk about the, the, the most important thing. Uh, you have done a song with Weird Al, and we need to hear all about it. Every last detail. Um, cool. Well, I'll give you the I'll give you the the overview. Like what happened was in. 2006, I did an interview on MTV and I talked about some of my influences and I mentioned Al and he saw that or read about it or something. Wow. So that was tight. So he had, so he, so I just added him on MySpace and he wrote me a message like, yo, <laughs> thanks for the kind words. And I was like, this has to be fake, right? <laughs> <laughs> but he gave me his email address and, um, we kept in touch. And one of the things, one of the first things he said was he, my song, download this song had come out like, like four months before straight out of Linwood. And it was, I had actually charted in Australia. So it was like, it, it was trending in some ways. And so he saw that and he, he said, Hey, I just wanted you to know also that I didn't rip this off from you. It was completely like independent and our songs are very different. And, um, right that yeah just just a heads up on that just so you're not like shocked and so that i thought that mm -hmm. was cool him because it was just like a w very weird coincidence yeah that is really cool and so i said okay well i i have this song we have an accordion part and we asked him if he'd play it and we did the sheet music and he recorded it in 2008 and um we were we talked on the phone remotely and he and he just sent me the wave file of it and um yeah it was just a cool little thing to like feature him on as the instrumentalist and he was he promoted it and it was cool it was and it gave the album like a cool story like wow how did you get this dude to play accordion on it and it's a story i'm very proud of it when i play it live i i, I tell that story so yeah you know it's like we were all fans and it's so cool that he's such a humble kind person you know 
that's like it's a very it's very encouraging for anyone who's looking to find reasons to love the music industry to find right. a nice person like that you know and especially people like us who grew up you know idolizing al and and loving his music and and we actually do get to meet or interact with him he is the you know it's not the horror story where you meet your idol and it's you know the guy's you know mean or something al is just the sweetest nicest most humble guy in the world so it's it's really cool um i think for fans to hear how validating it is um getting to interact and work with al yeah and i th- and i think you're right and i think it's like you know he it's it's he's i think he's a spiritual person down to earth person and that is something that goes beyond the music and i think that's what we can like a lot of his longevity comes from being a treating people kindly and with good morals. And I think that's cool. You know, we could learn from that. Totally. What was the first song you each heard by him? And I don't know if you already covered this on your podcast, but I'm curious. Well, first album I heard was, um, bad hair day. Um, I, hey. I must've been, you know, seven years old and my dad had the CD and we'd listen to it in the car and I loved it. And then, uh, you know, I just took it from there. <laughs> Yeah, and my first song goes back to Eat It, and I remember hearing that on the radio, and I was just like, whoa, wait a minute, this song can, is funny. This is great. You can actually make fun of Michael Jackson? This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Right, because Michael Jackson was so cool back then, right? It was oh, like- yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, it was, you couldn't turn on the radio without somebody talking about Michael Jackson. You couldn't walk down the street without talking about Michael Jackson in the, in the early 80s. It's interesting that that seems like the main inroads for the generations and correct me if you guys think I'm wrong, but like it was either eat it or smells like Nirvana or Amish paradise or white and nerdy or like the 2014 resurgence with all the Grammy mandatory fun stuff. Like those seem like the four. So depending on your age, that's one of the recent times you got into him. I got into him with um, a friend had a tape of, of even worse. And he came, he was visiting from Oregon and he left the tape in, in my tape deck on accident. I was like, uh, before I mailed it back to him, I just listened to it over and over again. But I didn't know any of the songs he was parroting. Right. I was just, that's sure. I'm sure that often happened for you guys too, huh? More so for me, just being younger. And uh, yeah, there's so many songs where I will hear the original and be like, oh, that's what he's parodying. <laughs> right. Yeah, for me that happens a little bit more with the polkas because I'm not I'm not as tuned into all everything that is current on the, the pop charts. But I mean, yes, definitely there's especially when I was younger, there are definitely songs I was like, I didn't know this was a parody, you know, until much later. Yeah, I didn't know sp- spam was a parody until like a year ago, <laughs> and I heard the original. <laughs> like, oh my god, <laughs> that's a deep a deep cut. Yeah, right? totally. <laughs> and also, I noticed like for me there was. Like when I was really up on music in middle school and high school, I knew all the songs in the polka. And then there was a moment like in college where I was not as up on current music. I'm like, I don't know some of these, the angry white boy polka (laughs) songs. I need to look these up. But I think that's cool how he managed to stay connected to just the zeitgeist of culture, right? That no one has done that, especially in it straddling between an, an era of physical media and like, like unified channels to now and that's like really awesome i don't know no one in the history of popular culture can has that distinction right no i totally agree no yeah and the other thing it says about is 
is how Al's songs can stand alone, whether you know the original or not. They're that funny that, you know, you, you know whether you know the original song he's based it on or not. It's just, it's a great standalone song. That's tight. And the way that they, you know, mimic the, the music and, and make it their own, but still make it so accurate to the original is just, it's so impressive when you do hear the original or if you've heard the original first. It's like, wow, I'm listening to the same song with just different lyrics when really they put so much effort into working on that and mimicking and it's it's so impressive to listen to are there any like modern ish like youtube or or spotify artists you guys have found who do parodies that that you think are good that aren't definitely not up to his standard but like like that you put on or are do you think or is there anyone else recently i don't know i i mean i i love comedy music um so I, i'll listen to anything it doesn't necessarily have to be parody for me, but uh, someone like Eli Braden, who does, he does like parody songs for Howard Stern show. Like he, I, I feel like he's really um, been able to, you know, get on that level of being like so creative and so funny and, and having songs that stand on their own, even if they are parodies. I'll check him out. That's great. He's good. Yeah. I got to ask. So for, for the song that you recorded with Al, true player for real uh, from the, gi- this gigantic robot kills album, did you like did you just freak out like you kind of glossed over this but i i feel like i wouldn't be able to sleep for a week if i knew i was <laughs> doing a song with weird al it was interesting because that song i i did early in the um writing process for the album the album took like like a few years i guess to write and i remember i call i called him at his house and he was like playing me different options for it and so that's so, so in other words, it was record he recorded his parts very early on, and it was like the secret I had as I finished the album, like, oh, this is a cool part of the story. But I didn't want to talk about it or like mention it to people. Yeah. So it was like early in the process of the re- songwriting. And um yeah, we did it in uh two thousand seven, I think, is when he recorded those parts. And then two thousand nine is when the album came out. So it was, yeah, it was like very exciting. It felt like it, so, another one of my heroes in music was KRS-One, who's like a really great rap, like conscious rapper. He was on the album I did after that. So it was like really amazing to just get these people, these heroes of mine on different records. And I never thought, you know, I never imagined I could do that. And it was, um, it felt like a milestone. You know, that's why I say, hey, we, we made it, guys. We got Al playing accordion. <laughs> but people say like, well... People make fun of that sometimes, but that I said that, but that's okay. You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, we love it. (laughs) I think it's so cool, you know, because people like me, I got turned on to your music because of that song with Weird Al. Because I I will, you know, Dave, I'm sure is the same way. If Weird Al does something, we have to find it. And we're, you know, we're major collectors. So, you know, as soon as that sort of thing happens, it introduces us to a whole new uh, artists. So it, I think it's so cool um, to have that kind of cross promotion as well. It's like a, yeah, it's like a cosign, right? If someone you like works on something else, it's like they say, this, this artist is worth my time. So then right. their fans are like, Oh, let me check it out. Like with rap. Right. Like, but kind of cooler than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And that was my first exposure to your music as well. Lars, I was with that song and I started following and getting into the rabbit hole and listening to everything. And I love it. <laughs> Thank you. That's yeah. really sweet. It's, you know, what's also cool is it was uh, back when iTunes, they'd have like a free 
download of the week, and that it was their free download for the week it came out. Oh, um, wow. Back, you know, our, oh. the video, the video was which the video we knew we couldn't get him in it, so we did we did. If you haven't seen it, it's sock puppets. My friend Richard made it. Yes, that. I love it. <laughs> so I like I always love that video because it kind of has the lo-fi aesthetic. Oh, and then an- another story is um, my friend Tim, who did the Robot Kills video, he directed it, which was on that album. Al saw that and wanted to do, wanted to hire Tim to do the lame claim to fame video. No way. So Tim Tim shot all that stuff in our apartment, except the scene where he's like in the um in the in the kitchen with the scrapbook, you know? Yep. Right. The beginning. Yeah. That was cool that it was like linked through that album, that song, the album he'd seen that video and wanted something similar. So I got to, so I have a little ca- two little cameos in that video. And I worked on the set of that video, which was pretty fun. I don't know if I've noticed the Where, where can we find the cameos? Uh, I think there's a scene where it's like a courtroom. I'm like, it's like my face for a second. And I, there's another crowd scene. So okay. Tim wanted to put me put me in it. Oh man, <laughs> I gotta cool. rewatch and look for that. That's awesome. Do you guys notice on True Player I say, and I could give you twenty seven reasons why? Did you guys? Rec- I was going to ask you about that twenty seven connection, <laughs> and also I've, your your uh, comic series, the Twenty Seventh Street. Is that is that a reference to Al? Yes, they both are. <laughs> that is awesome. So, what is the origin of that? Because I've heard that it's like, like, well, what do you guys think of the? What have you guys learned about the origin of that number? Well, basically, uh, that number started showing up in some early Owl songs and early Owl videos. In Like a Surgeon, I know, and in uh, cable TV, he says it. And uh, basically, a couple fans, uh, in particular, I believe it was the fans who were running Midnight Star, uh, an old fan uh, magazine, uh, fanzine back in the 80s before you could find everything online, uh, that was the only way you can find out information about Al, kind of noticed it and mentioned to him. And Al was like, well, that wasn't really intentional, but 27 kind of is a funny number. And he's, <laughs> then at that point, he started doing it more intentionally to as a shout out to his fans. And then, of course, like in Albuquerque, where he's like 26 and a half years old, you know, he'll <laughs> tease us, which is great. Bermuda, I asked Bermuda and Bermuda said that it's because his mom's birthday was February 7th. It was a shout out to her, 2-7. Oh, I had heard cool. this. That's great. So, yeah. So maybe that's, if Bermuda says it, I don't know. Bermuda <laughs> also said he likes trolling people. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So that's cool. That's great. Aside from those 27 references uh, Dave mentioned, are there other, you know, hidden Weird Al references we should look for in your work? Oh, wow. That's a gr- very good question. I mean, whatever... <laughs> I have to think of a number. I have said 27 um, and throughout my songs. I mean, I think the I, the whole idea of like the whole idea of, of like with my crunk song or my ska song or anything that's been like a genre reference. You know, I've done a few like like parody songs, like specific parody songs like over the years. But mainly my you know, my I think my best songs are like taking a genre and distilling it. Right. And that's so influenced by him right and i think that that's what's cool about hip-hop is that what i kind of realize is being a genre where you can sample anything and go any direction i love to i've loved to make every record like his record where it's like his albums where every song it could be you know a different genre within hip-hop and um yeah so that's always been kind of my vision but i'm trying to think if there's any specific references to his songs that none come up specifically 
Well, how about the other way? I think that in the Lame Claim to Fame video, there's a scene where there's a robot that's chasing Al and another person in the car. And uh, I was just wondering if that was intense, especially since your connection to Tim, if that was uh, put in there intentionally as a shout out to you. Oh, yeah. Tim said, yeah, that's funny. You, you saw that. Tim said that that was inspired by the Robot Kills video for sure. Awesome. Oh, that's so cool! I can't wait to yeah. rewatch this video now. <laughs> you guys should have you guys should have Tim on. Oh, that we would, would be love cool... that. We would love that. Oh, absolutely. I'll link you if you want. Yes, please do. For sure. I, I just had him on my my podcast. Yeah, Tim. That's a great segue. Let's talk about your podcast, the MC Lars podcast. I saw as of us recording this, you just posted um, an interview with the Dead Milkman, which is so cool. Um, you've had Perry Grip on, who's another one of my. Um, comedy music heroes tell us about the podcast so i wanted to do it for years i did i had one in 2006 and before that i used to do a show on Sirius, like from the road and i really enjoyed it but i was like you know i i, I wanted to basically i wanted to have an excuse to catch up with a lot of my friends like or or people i didn't know so i started it and like you guys have done i front loaded it with a bunch of episodes so i knew that i wouldn't slow down yeah. you know and the benefit of touring, one of the benefits of touring is that if I know someone in a town, I can hit them up and be like, hey, I'll be in your town at this time. Can I talk to you? And that's how I met the uh, Gary Wolf, who the creator of Roger Rabbit. I just oh, emailed wow. him. Cool. And so and so it's been like traveling makes it fun because it's, you know, I can talk to anyone anywhere when I'm on the road. And um, yeah, it comes out every Monday. It's weekly like your guys' podcast, and it's very fun. And I, and I have a lot of people like lined up that I'm going to talk to for it, but it's, I really enjoy it. It's like, yeah, having, it gives you an excuse to sit down and talk to people who you might not have like make plans to talk to, and I think that's the best part about it. Yeah, I mean, we certainly feel that because it's, you know, we get to talk to so many people who – either have worked with or are influenced by Weird Al. And it's just, it's so nice to make those kind of connections. It is cool. It's a, uh, yeah. And it's cool that I think mine's more, my theme is kind of like about creative people have been adaptable to like how the media landscapes change. That's kind of like the common thread, but I think it's really cool for you guys to have like one specific pop culture topic or even person, right. you know, it's like <laughs> the rabbit hole goes crazy deep. Absolutely. And we've found so many connections that it's with, with people who, who know and are influenced by Weird Al. I feel like we could go on beyond 2000 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> that is our goal, of course. 2000. That is our goal. Two, two, we're going to hit 2000. <laughs> That's amazing. But you mentioned um, touring and you've toured in Japan, Australia, the UK, and of course the US. Can you tell us kind of like the differences of our between touring on all these countries and what that's like? Oh, the, what a great question. Um, well, Japan is cool because you kind of have this like instant cachet of like, oh, if it's American artists here, there must be like, it must be, it must be good enough to be here, right? There's a reason they're here. And um, in Japan, I, this was surprising. They don't like when you have merchandise with Japanese characters. You know, they want English. So that was that was interesting learning oh. that. that oh, they wow. really want that like pure, like foreign experience. You know what I mean? Like, like this is a truly American. So that's cool. And I think England carries similar weight of like 
they love so much American culture that it gives it cachet, like whatever you're doing gives it cachet. Also, though, England has has a really great live music culture because, you know, the towns are smaller, are closer together. And like going to the pub to hear live music is such a cultural thing, I think, more than in the U.S. And so that's England's where I actually got my start. I was doing part of my undergrad degree over there and I was just playing shows around Oxford as uh, like while I was studying there. And then I got signed to a label based in Oxford and that was in 2003. And so it all kind of England has always been a great they're very loyal fans and they're very like enthusiastic. And I just did a 10 year anniversary tour for Robot Kills where I had a live band that played like the whole album live, oh, cool. which was really fun. So that was tight. Um, America, you know, it's long distances and sometimes it feels like there are like many different countries within America, you know, like the South versus, versus the Pacific Northwest, right? Like it's so vast and every show's different, but nerds are the same everywhere you go in the world. <laughs> Universal. Which is great. Yeah, right. <laughs> the universal language, nerd. Exactly. And I think that, um, yeah, I feel really blessed to have seen all these places. And I've played a show in every state but Delaware. So that's, oh, wow. that's one of my goals, to play Delaware. I feel like that's year. a very easily achievable goal. <laughs> I think you're right. I played Baltimore and I played D.C. So I don't know if D.C. Does D.C. count? Not technically. Uh, yeah, I mean... It's if you're trying to do everyone, then yeah, you got to do DC. So, <laughs> yeah. So you did Alaska so that, and Hawaii. Yeah, I did a lot. I've done Alaska maybe five times. Wow, and never Delaware. Is, I feel like at this point, no, it's, it's like you just hate Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like you play Baltimore. A lot of these venues have a radius clause, uh, and I yeah. played v- Vienna, which is near DC. So they don't want you playing within a few hundred miles, which makes sense. You know? Yeah, totally. But Alaska's cool. I went up there for Warp Tour. They had they used to do a Warp Tour Alaska, and then I played there with MC Chris, and I played there with Mac Lethal, and then I've yeah, I I love Anchorage a lot, and I, there's I have a friend there who's a promoter, so I get to go there a lot. I've been to Hawaii one time, and that was cool. That was in Honolulu. That's so cool. So it's an adventure, you know. It's been an adventure. I've been doing this now sixteen years. Whoa. That's crazy. Can I ask a stupid question? Please. I I mean, this doesn't really fit with the flow of the interview, but I, I it's just something I've been wondering. When you get like introduced by by you know an MC or something, has anyone ever accidentally called you Mick Lars? I yeah, I get that a lot, and that's okay. I think it's it's a thing with people who are. <laughs> I think it's because Lars doesn't seem like a I don't know traditionally hip hop name necessarily, yeah. so. Yeah, there was a guy bowling when I toured with Bowling for Soup. Their sound guy would always call me Mick Lars as a joke, <laughs> you know, and it's funny. <laughs> Thank you for allowing me to ask my stupid question. It's a good question. <laughs> Let's learn a little bit about about more about Mick Lars here. Um, so, Mick, <laughs> how did you get into music and rap in particular? Oh, wow. Well, let's see. One of. I started like writing lyrics in like in second grade, but one of my first rap songs was I, it was very meta. I took, I had the gangster's paradise single and I loved Amish paradise. So I did a song about a guy fishing for crawdads. So I called it crayfish paradise (laughs) (laughs) and I I rapped it along with the instrumental and um, my friends just, it was a big hit with my friends, right? They all wanted a copy. So I was like, huh, rap is first of all, it's, you could say a lot more words. 
it does i don't have the best singing voice like admittedly i my tone is not amazing so i but i have good rhythm so it was just something that i yeah i started doing and i realized it got a better reaction than like my i was in punk bands and i did like electronic music it got a better reaction so i kept pursuing it and um in college i really like got into a lot of the underground stuff and like atmosphere and, and stuff that made me realize, Oh, you can be kind of vulnerable and kind of lo-fi with your music. And I really, you know, the literary connection with literature was another hook for me. Like, Oh, if I write a Shakespeare song, this will feel like this will connect with an audience outside of people who just like hip hop music. So college was when I really fell in love with it and, and playing shows on campus and like, back in the day, like promoting DIY and, you know, like play, I'd play, my whole thing was I'd play for play with a, a, like punk bands or play open for my own punk band back in the day. And so it was like a inroad, you know what I mean? It was like something that felt like a direct communication. And I liked that to make hip hop music, I didn't need to coordinate a band rehearsal, right? Like right. I could just do it myself. Yeah. And so all those things, and then the luck of finding this label in England. And then in like the mid two thousands, when nerdcore hip hop became a press thing, I kind of got lumped into that world, but I wasn't necessarily completely against it because it kind of described what I did and it, it had an audience, you know? Right. So yeah, that's maybe it's a long answer, but it was just a series of happy accidents. Yeah. And, and how, and kind of how do you uh, straddle that line between um, making kind of funny music and still being able to be taken seriously? I think that's a great question, man. I think the whole journey for me is learning to be funny without being a joke, right? And I think mm. that that's what Al does so remarkably. And I think the way you you do that is by having like high quality albums, like putting a lot of the money into mixing and stuff. Having sometimes I, I've you know I've released a few serious songs. I did my album Lars Attacks was like pretty much a very serious album, and um. Yeah, trying to say real things. I, but I think that's been a constant balance with me because I never, I don't consider myself a comedy artist like some of the Lonely Island or, or the, mm -hmm. even like Luke Ski and the Fump artists. Yep. Those those guys are amazing, sure. but I don't consider myself like a comedy artist, even though I, I do do a lot of funny songs. I don't know. It's a weird balance, which I think maybe if I went straight into just doing hilarious comedy songs, that maybe would have been a good idea. But I don't know. <laughs> there's still time. I think about it a lot, you know? That's true. There's still time. <laughs> yeah, I, there's time. I was just going to say, I think it was really cool. I was um, checking out, you have a Patreon page where people can um, support, you know, new songs. And you put out these exclusive songs just for Patreon. What has your experience been with that? That sounds so cool. Oh, thanks, man. Patreon's great because I do two songs a month. And like early, when I first started, some of those songs... Um, I eventually redid and put on Spotify, but now I've kept it as an exclusive thing where you only get the songs if you're on Patreon. And um, it's fun because it really gets, it forces my brain to work hard. And like, sometimes I'll work on a song and I'll be like, oh, this is an album song. I'm going to hold off on releasing this on Patreon. And I'm not going to say it's like their B-sides, but there are songs that like are, I take a lot of chances with those songs, you know, like I'll do a, I'll do a, 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 a ska song, which is like completely like, um, like different than a ska song I would do. Or I'll do a song where I like tell a story or, you know what I mean? Sing maybe. And so it's, it's pretty fun. I mean, it, it becomes, it's a lot of work, but I'm really grateful for the fans who have supported it and it 
helps a lot when it does. It allows me not to have to tour full time, you know? Right. It's like a great, great income source. And I love Patreon and shout out my friend, Jack, who started it actually went to college with me and we used to play shows together in um, college. And he, he, he's a very smart guy. So I think it's cool that like his platform he built. Oh, he started Patreon. Yeah. J- j- yeah. He's a, uh, he's the guy who started Patreon. Wow. So shout to him. It's- and I remember when P- Poodle Hat came out, I had it and I loaned it to him because he was so excited the day it came out and uh, he was a big Weird Al fan. Oh, maybe we need to have him on. <laughs> He'd be good, yeah. I think Patreon is so cool. It's really, it's opened up, you know, you're, you're talking about like the DIY kind of artist scene. It's it's really helped, you know, make money and, and make a living for people who really want to get their art out there. And uh, I know we're we're talking about going on Patreon and, and coming up with some exclusive content, that kind of stuff. It's just such a fun platform. What's cool about it, you know, I think so much of our energy is as content creators is spent trying to figure out how we're going to monetize, distribute, and like make what we create stand out. And the great thing about Patreon is suddenly you don't have to worry about the monetizing it. You just have to worry about creating it. And right. I think a lot of the challenge is like, okay, is this going to be just for my subscribers or is this going to be for everyone? And that that's the, the line you walk. But yeah, like with podcasts, having like exclusive episodes or something, that's a... Um, cool twist that's like a smart idea and I, I love what you were saying about you know you, you know having the patreon and it's going to your fans so it's you don't have to worry about like is this going to be marketable to the general public it's like my fans are the ones who are going to listen to this and they're the ones who are going to allow me that chance to you know try something new or do something that i wouldn't normally do so it's it's i think it's such a great um idea so i love it welcome to the future the future is exciting. <laughs> yeah. And you seem to have a, a great relationship with, with your fans through Patreon and other and other means. So, I mean, just how important are those fans to you? Yeah. Thanks for saying that. I think that so much of that has come from touring and like, you know, always making sure like we're always at the merch booth all night. We're always hanging. We're not like heading out back, backstage, listening, talking, asking questions, getting to know. These fans are like our friends and it's, you know, 16 years of doing it. It's like you kind of you recognize the same people who come to the shows and it's it's really special and i think with nerdcore people feel like you know there's not a lot of music for some of these people other than you know big, like bigger artists like weird al and stuff like there's not a lot of quirky strange music for some of these people and it's yeah. it's a it's a cool community and i and i really love that like we keep getting to tour and people keep coming to see us and it's a, it's a blessing, you know? So the fans are really everything because otherwise I would have gotten a real job by now, you know? <laughs> I'm so glad that Nerdcore, there's not like, you guys aren't like shooting each other and and uh, having gangs. You guys all seem to be friends and collaborating and touring together. I think that's, that's so important for the fan base. Man, that's a great point. Yeah, it's like we never were like a, a record label or like a crew of artists, but we all kind of found each other through the internet and it hasn't been without growing pains and stuff but i think that everyone is cool and we do team up and when we team up we find like the sum is greater than the parts you know which is special which is uh yeah it's it's like these are my like a bunch of the nerdcore guys were at my wedding and um they're my (laughs) friends you know they're like my wonderful friends now i gotta ask you about um the video games you've got two video games and I, I need to hear about these. This is so cool to me. Oh, cool. Well, thank you for asking about that. It's a company called Sinner Steel, 
they're based in Pennsylvania. So they did MC Lars, the video game, which is like, <laughs> you have to save the music industry from the major label, like A&R guy who wants to sanitize everything. And so you fight with, um, you fight with your raps and you have to collect these like <laughs> Zelda cartridges. <laughs> and and the, tri the trick is it's a rhythm game. So it's based on like, if you listen to, like the rhythm of the rap, it kind of informs how you should move. Okay. You know, so if okay. you know the songs, it's cool. So it's like a, it's a side scroller based on, it's like a throwback eight bit game. And then the sequel is called MC Lars, the brotherhood, which features front a lot, Schaefer, Mega Ran and Whitey cracker. And the five <laughs> of us, it's like a, it's like a group mission. So it's, you can play as either of them and it has all their music. So yeah, they really, they put a lot into it, these guys, and I, I was happy with it. And it's on Steam, and it's on iPhone and Android, and it's pretty cool. It's cool to have, be able to say, "Oh yeah, I have two games out." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, you're. I mean, just looking at the the different creative outlets you have, you have the video games, you have the podcast, the Patreon, your music, your touring, um, you do teaching, uh, you do comics. I mean, what what don't you do, and what is next? <laughs> um. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, that's that's really nice. I I am working on some other projects. I'm working on like we our new album, the Dewey Decibel System. We're kind of marketing it towards schools and teachers because it's all about books, you know. Oh, awesome. So I'm doing more kids work and working on a, a kids project right now. Like, um, so that's pretty fun. And yeah, like doing more workshops and um, but the big project is I'm doing this kids. Thing that's hopefully we'll see the light of day this year. I've been working on it for like 10 years and being able to like make educational music, but that is fr family friendly. And I think never swearing and like, that's something that Al influenced me. Like right. everything it's like PG, maybe PG 13, but I'll never be obscene and I'll never use the F word or curse because that, that as a kid, I, I, what I love about Al is you could listen to him in the car with your family and it wasn't like, obscene and i don't think there are a lot of rappers who never curse i think i could think of like will smith my friend mega ran and i don't know you know <laughs> right so that's important to me like that so that is translating that to more kind of kid-friendly music and stuff like that so that's what i'm working on and uh yeah how about you guys who else are you are you aiming to have on the podcast or is it a secret man i mean it's like I said, really anyone who's worked with Al or is influenced by Al is on our list. Like, we're excited. But, I mean, how cool would it be to get, you know, Weird Al on the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's inevitable. It, it has to happen. And we, we have 2,000. Episode 2,000. Yeah. <laughs> that's the goal. That's dope. You know, one when Dave and I were, were first planning the podcast, we, we were like, uh, we wanted to have an impossible guest that we would aim for, and that guest is Lin-Manuel Miranda. I think that would be a very hard guest to get, but a really fun one to talk to. I feel like he's very vocal about his fandom, right? He is. He is. Oh, yeah. He's a big Weird Al fan. Absolutely. So, yeah. Wow. I would definitely download that episode. <laughs> We're looking forward to making it. Too. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. I believe I believe in you guys. I perceive good things. 
You'll be the first person we tell once we once we have that yes. episode recording. <laughs> That's dope. Let's talk a little bit about your new album, The Dewey Decibel System. It is available now, and it's uh, 14 songs all about our favorite books and poems and graphic novels and plays. We spent a few years making it, and we read all the – we made sure we went back and read everything we rapped about. We've made four videos for it, and um, yeah, it's – Really fun because Megaran is a big, he was an English major too. And so we both take on different characters from books and tell the story from different perspectives. And it was a really fun record to make because I, I, it's been years since I made an album with, like 10 years since I've made a collaborative album with another artist. Mm-hmm. And he came out and we recorded in New York and um, for a week. Often with hip hop, people just email waves of their verses. But we sat in the same studio and worked for a week on it. Wow. And I think that that comes through you know like the back and forth yeah. that was really cool that's awesome i i definitely uh encourage our listeners to check out dewey decibel system um we can follow all of your your journeys you're, you're on uh, facebook and instagram and twitter uh youtube you've got a twitch channel you've got all sorts of uh great stuff that we can uh, follow you on well thank you and if anyone wants to hear new songs uh, patreon's a cool channel too and um yeah, I really wish you guys great success with your podcast because I think it's a really cool idea. And I can we wait? Can we? We haven't told the story how Dave and I connected. Oh, or is that please off the record? I don't know. Absolutely, go for it, Lars. <laughs> so my first concert ever was Alapalooza tour two thousand. Wait, no, two thousand nineteen ninety three in Santa Cruz, and um, I remember that was like when I was a fan. I'd been a fan after Off the Deep End came out, and so I was like such a fan i was like oh there's a new album so when alapalooza came out i was so excited and my uncle bought his tickets to go see him and i had a poster a big promo poster of alapalooza that i always like had in my studio that when i moved had gotten torn or wet or just somehow i'd lost it over the years of moving so i was googling like i did a google reverse image search of, of (laughs) of the logo and i found that dave had it on his collections page and i was like yo i'll g- literally give you anything for this this would be like the bomb and dave you kindly wrote me back <laughs> and you made my day that's amazing no no and so so it's framed in my studio here and i look at it every day and i'm like there are such nice people in the world and i always am like very grateful and then when i when he played the apollo theater we just missed each other but we almost met irl <laughs> well i don't think I don't know if either of you know this story, but Lars, you and I were uh, very close to each other uh, a couple years ago. I think it was we're it was mandatory fun tour. I, I think it was Atlantic City. We were both meeting Al, and I think you were a few people ahead of me. Are you serious? Yeah, but I I, I mean we didn't have this connection yet. I was just like kind of nerding out, like oh my god, that's MC <laughs> Lars. <laughs> that's crazy, man. What's that's really crazy. Yeah. Well, so we were in the same room. Yeah, so beat that, Dave. <laughs> we were in the same city together. How's that? <laughs> yeah, I was at the That's... Apollo show too, so I, I get that. Ah, oh, darn it. <laughs> oh, you were? That's yeah. cool. Are you going to be at any shows this tour? Do we have any opportunities to see you? I want to go, definitely. And I, I'm going to be like traveling this summer. So, yes, I definitely want to see the tour. Are you guys going to? We're going to so many shows. So if That's... you go to any, we'll probably be there. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll look forward to I'll hit you up when I know where I'm going. I'll see if you guys are going and awesome. that'll be fun. Be awesome. oh, great. Out. Yeah. We love, love to talk to you. 
Nice to see you. <laughs> That's cool. Man, well, I appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, yeah, thank you for your kind words and your support. Thanks again to MC Lars. What an incredibly talented and nice person he is. He is amazing. I really like talking to him. So excited that right now you can get his brand new album, Dewey Decibel System. And uh, you can check that out just by heading over to mclars.com. Yes, and thank you to our listeners. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. We're on iTunes and Spotify. And we are also on Stitcher and so many places. And you can learn all about that on our website. Head over to 2000inch.com. That's 2000inch.com. And we're also at 2000inch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So follow us there. Yeah, and we love reading all of your comments and receiving all your emails. Please continue to writing to us. And remember to please share our podcast with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Or anyone who you don't think would enjoy it and might enjoy not enjoying it. <laughs> uh, so uh, you may have seen in the, in the podcast world uh, on iTunes and, and whatnot that we have our special centimeter reviews. And the first couple ones that Dave has done are now out there so you can listen to his reviews of the Weird Al shows. And we're going to keep those coming all summer long as we hit these different strings attached shows. I'm so excited for next week's episode. We talk to Mr. Lawrence, the voice behind Plankton on SpongeBob SquarePants, among many other voices, and the illustrator for the food album cover art. That was Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 6-inch. Featuring Robert De Niro's Gigantic Bowl.